welcome to the Slack of this podcast. I am Jim Fagan, co-president of New York Picture Company, here with Zach Bubolo, co-president of New York Picture Company, and Matthew Cullen, co-president of New York Picture Company. Because when your company's made up, everyone can be president. <laughs> good morning, Jim. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, uh, Zach. What a lovely week it's been in the in the Slack of this nation. Let's kind of jump right into it. Oh, God almighty, I'm so hungover. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> leave that in. I will. Uh, all right, this week's episode. I, I'm just so glad it's usually me, so I'm glad it's someone else for a change. Oh, God. It's, it's the holiday season, which means office parties, which means mistakes are made midweek. This week's episode, Trump and the Billion Dollar Job. Uh, we've also got a comparison between Trump and a horrible leader of a world power. And, of course, the person of the year, Trump. So if you like Trump, you come to the right place. Zach, why don't you start us off with what Donald Trump is up to on the job front? Sure. The SoftBank chief executive, Masayoshi Son, announced in the lobby of Trump Tower with Trump grinning enthusiastically at his side. We are going to invest $50 billion into the United States and commit to create 50,000 new jobs. I would like to celebrate Trump's presidential job and commit because he would do a lot of deregulation. I said, this is great. The United States would become great again. Is this an actual quote, or was Trump just telling everyone he could translate and just coming out and saying whatever he wanted? I think it was a bit like the Nelson Mandela sign language interpreter going on there. <laughs> so there's a, a lot to unpack there, uh, but I'm going to start with the promise of deregulation. And when they say deregulation, they don't mean deregulation to industries that are actually going to help the average person, you know, like maybe deregulating pharmaceuticals and making medicine less expensive or, you know, other drugs like deregulating weed. They mean deregulation that leads to workers being paid less and more rivers and lakes getting polluted and the boom-bust cycles that bankrupt the common folk but line the golden parachutes of executives. And to sort of drive this point home of his gun-slinging attitude towards uh, boom and bust cycles and recessions, Masayoshi-san holds the record for the most personal wealth lost in a single day. In the tech bubble Whoa. crash of the early 2000s, he lost $70 billion of personal wealth in one day. Oh and he has God. yet to gain it back. Well, when it comes to Trump, he's in there with the champ. It's I know, I know. the most frightening thing I've ever heard. I, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, today he is still worth... An estimated nineteen billion. Imagine if you had nine thousand dollars and you lost seven thousand dollars. Like that's not a good place to be. <laughs> so Zach, you're talking about the deregulation, and it's something that like I haven't really thought of. But when we talk about make America great again, and like I want to return to the 1950s, it's also like I, we just bought a house and had to sign a disclosure that was like there's lead paint in the walls. I guess. <laughs> Right. You know, like yeah. we, we can go back to polluting everything. Like, don't you want your carpet to give you cancer again? Make America great again. <laughs> yeah, like regulation is a good thing. And I think the other thing to think about is where is this money going? And it's it's not a feel-good bailout to make sure that Americans can get back up on their feet, like when Obama bailed out the auto industry. SoftBank and Masayoshi Son are investing in startups. And where are the startups they're not in landlocked red states where corporate-owned farms outnumber potential entrepreneurs. This guy's not a savior of the American working class. So here's a, here's a quick scan of the fastest-growing startups in the U.S. 
a bioscience company in San Francisco, an electric power company in Maine, a hotel website in Oregon, and a fiber optics firm in Massachusetts. But I don't understand. So those, are, those are the coasts. Right. <laughs> exactly. And you know who's going to be getting those jobs? College-educated millennials. Oh, I was going to say the Rust Belt. It's not the Rust Belt. Right. No, 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 no. Yoshi Is Sun. it Mexico? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these jobs are going to Mexicans. They created 50,000 jobs for neon-haired, gender-fluid, biracial Muslim millennials. I think you went a little far calling all millennials neon-haired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. But this, this doesn't... I have to jump in here. I saw a viral video yesterday that said that had a girl with glow-in-the-dark hair. And it was awesome. Just look it up, glow-in-the-dark hair. It will blow your mind. <laughs> and then look up cancer-causing glow-in-the-dark yeah. hair. And then look up <laughs> lead paint hair. Uh, Matt, I would like for you to jump in. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a question to you about this stuff that Zach's talking about. What do liberals do with their inside feelings when Trump does things that like blatantly kind of help them and – harm the people that voted for Trump. Like, it's this weird kind of icky, sticky feeling where you're like, wait, stop. This isn't because I also read an article this week about how the massive tax cuts are going to benefit all of these blue states that currently pay more into the system than they get back. Like, New Yorkers and Californians are going to see their tax dollars go down, and all of the entitlements that the center of the country benefit from they're going to see, and Obamacare and things like that, they're going to see those things go away, and it's actually going to be bizarrely helpful for the liberal working class on the coast. Well, I think it comes down to if you are the kind of person who, when you go to a movie, you root for the bad guy, you know? Like, and I feel like rooting for Bane in Act 3 of The Dark Knight Rises, and you're just very mixed up. You know, you don't want that as... You shouldn't even be watching The Dark Knight Rises. It's not a great movie. To um, be fair, Bane had a good point. Go on. Yeah, but I mean, like, then you, you root for Bane, and all of a sudden you have Scarecrow running the judiciary. I mean, that that actually happened. That's, what was that's going on? <laughs> that That is oddly, oh, my God, The Dark Knight Rises is Trump's administration. Wait, explain what Bane's point again was, Zach. It was all, like, the Occupy movement, wasn't it? He wanted to get, like, all the rich folks out of Gotham and all, like, his thugs and poor people were occupying, like, the rich fancy towers of Manhattan slash Gotham. And he was like, there's a real evil here and there's no equality. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess. That's sort of true. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. Obviously, we're, we're seeing a, a different example of that um, because uh, we live in New York City and uh, there's no super weird supervillain with uh, a weird mask on. I think it's like, don't get suckered in, right? Something that I think is important, knowing that if you are a healthy person and you've got a healthy mind and heart, but you have skin cancer, it like eventually is not going to be good for your your head and your heart and all of these things. And and I think it's understanding the bigger picture, like not getting complacent and saying like that not letting that little part of you be like, Oh, well this is actually gonna work out for me. It's the same thing we're saying where if you're a cisgendered white male, you're not the one who's really in trouble right away in this administration. But when the whole suffers, you're gonna suffer. Eventually when the whole country is thrown into another recession, everybody's going to suffer. So I think that mm-hmm. is understanding that we're all 
part of a society. We've bought into a society. So, yes, we can try to be like, well, we're in safe zone states where sanctuary states, right, and sanctuary cities, and our mayors and our governors are sticking up for us. At the same time, we're benefiting slightly from some of these policies, or we could stand to. I think it's understanding, like, those are those are temporary. You know, we, we still have to fight for the larger fabric of the whole country. Too preachy? No, and I don't want to seem like in my rant that I was somehow pro-venture capitalism. God forbid. There's good things about venture capitalists, right? That's how you get an iPhone. Are iPhones really good for us, though? Like, <laughs> they're made with, like, child labor in Asia. <laughs> All right, so bring it home. What, uh, what's kind of your final thought on, on this part of the piece, Zach? So my, I guess my silver lining is, you know, if you're a Trump voter now and if you're scared by everything I said about, like, how this $50 billion and these 50,000 new jobs are going to blue states, the silver lining is that, you know, the taxes that all these newly employed millennials are going to pay are eventually going to flow back to you. Right. It's trickle-down Trumponomics. All right. Finally, some good press for Donald Trump this week, which is uh, we were all waiting for the unfair media to treat him fairly. So Trump is person of the year. What more is there to say, right? I mean, my favorite part of this whole spread is if you look at the photo of Donald Trump, uh, time conveniently placed his head in front of the M, so it looks like he's got double double horns right now, which is a a really interesting, really interesting uh, choice, and I'm sure nobody picked up on it. Um, Yeah, I mean, what, what, what? There's not much to say about it because. Since Time Magazine's basically been doing this Person of the Year uh, deal, president-elect or sitting president have been the choice, you know? So Obama was there in 2008 and 2012. Before that, Bush in 2000, 2004. You know, you go back further, Reagan had it twice. Bush won, had it once. Clinton had it twice. So, you know, the precedent is there. It's not that surprising. Um, You know, an interesting twist uh, they also had an online vote for, for person of the year, and uh, Hillary Clinton won in a landslide. So while winning <laughs> the, the popular, popular vote, <laughs> she did not win yeah, the, the, the cover. So, um, oh, oh my God. Guessing. You can't make that up. That's, that's worse. That's actually yeah. worse. I hope that Hillary Clinton won the online popular vote, but that it's a series of desk people at desks at Time Magazine that make this choice, and like he just ekes that out. Please remind everybody that Person of the Year does not always mean Great Person of the Year. Okay, so let's let's just say the truth. Time picked Hitler and Joseph Stalin, right? So uh, probably doesn't sound great, but I actually think Trump was more poorly viewed at the time than either of those guys. Sure. Hitler had already started his persecution of the Jews, and a year, you know, a year after he was chosen person of the year, uh, the world would go to war. Um, but the, you know, like like Trump's lies and fear mongering are a footnote in the Time article. So too was uh, Hitler's persecution of the Jews in uh, 1938 when he won. You know, they were really talking about his unification of Germany with Austria. Right. I think people get confused because they explicitly state that this is not an award that's like for the best human being who walked planet Earth this year. They say it's for better or worse, the person who has done the most to influence the events of the year. And they've also like basically gone back and said, we should have picked Osama bin Laden in 2001. Like we sort of were cowards for picking Giuliani. In hindsight, Giuliani and bin Laden are essentially the same. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, so it's a good reminder, right, that Trump is already a part of history, like that 
he's still writing history, like, which is scary enough, right? He is going to write history from here on out, but he has been writing history for the past two years. I get this vibe sometimes, like, I think back on my history textbook, right? And I remember there were these, like, periods of American history where, like, not a ton happened. Like, that doesn't feel like right now. It feels like we're in that part where, like, there's a chapter called Trump. Or it could be a footnote, right? Because in four years, like, there could be a progressive movement in this country, and it could sweep him out in the same way that the Tea Party came in and didn't manage to sweep out Obama, but did manage to obstruct much of his policy. You know, if in four years, if Trump falls through on things that he says he's doing, like for every executive order he issues, he's going to revoke two. And then in four years, someone comes along and does the same thing to Trump. You know, we might just all look past it. We might just, you know, have like chapter 75, Trump, and then just move on. Just one word, Trump, move on. Also, we, we can add in that, you know, his, uh, when we're reading those textbooks, there will also be a section about how God created the universe because of the people he's putting into office. But eh, we're just going to skip right. that. <laughs> there, it will also yeah. be like, that's when George Washington <laughs> rode his dinosaur into Jesus's angel factory. Well, it's a good reminder that uh, we can use history to kind of try to guess what Trump's administration is going to be like. And we talk about the person of the year. We talk about a certain Fuhrer who was on the cover, and a lot of people have drawn comparisons between this former person of the year and Donald Trump and what this former person of the year did and what Donald Trump has done. And I think you guys all know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the most evil man to ever lead a country, Richard Nixon. So <laughs> this is kind of a great story that I heard for the first time this week. A lot of people comparing where does to he, Nixon. Where does your true hatred of Nixon come from? It's like Tricky Dick had a very complex presidency that the first four years was based entirely upon re-election. I'm sure he's not alone when it comes to those presidents. But he's so parallel to Trump, it's kind of mind-boggling. Okay, And Mm -hmm. my hatred of him doesn't come directly from anything that he did. But when I tell you some of the policies he is responsible for during his administration, I read a really nice article that was like, Let's actually contextualize what Nixon's presidency was aside from Watergate, because that kind of is so big, it's hard to look past. Um, Okay, so this is kind of an amazing story that starts this out. Uh, Nixon um, was watching television with his wife, Pat, his wife, uh, and she is watching a very charismatic television personality on television talking about his great career in business, and they're watching Donald Trump on TV. And Nixon is so uh, taken aback by how enthusiastic his wife is describing uh, what Trump is like on TV that Nixon writes to Trump and says, I just wanted to let you know that whenever you decide to run for office, you're going to be a big winner. Uh, so, first of all, you can thank Richard Nixon for Donald Trump's presidency. Because if you think what? that's the kind of thing that Donald Trump forgets, that's definitely not. I'm sure that Trump kept that note close to his heart. My very dear friend, dearly departed Richard Nixon, always told me I'm a winner. Yeah. Maybe that's why he thinks we're all going to be so tired of winning. So there's a lot of comparisons that a lot of great news uh, articles have pointed out. The Wall Street Journal has shown that in the course of American leaders, Nixon and Trump are really the only two who are somehow both anti-elite and pro-big government. There's been a lot of anti-elitists. There's been a lot of pro-big governments. There's just not often in that Venn diagram someone who falls into, I love big government, but I hate the elite. 
Um, well, I, you have to put an asterisk on that because Trump has said he's not. I mean, he's not entirely pro big government. Well, they're they're basing it on his actions, not his words, which I think are, are fair. But I guess if you're saying that, then it's you could argue he's very pro elite as well. Um, so there's also the anti media narrative, right? This you won't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore thing versus the failing New York Times thing. They both like really got frothing at the mouth about that. They both were able to harness the anger of the white working class to get themselves elected, and they both portrayed themselves as outsiders, right, when they're anything but. Richard Nixon was the vice president. Donald Trump is an an elitist New York City uh, president who sits in his tower, literally (laughs) his ivory tower and gold-laced tower, uh, and lords over the land. Then we have the Frost-Nixon interview that Seth Meyers pointed out actually the other night, where Nixon said to Frost, um, when the president does it, it's not illegal, which sounds like an exact quote about Donald Trump and his business conflicts. But Trump's like, I heard this somewhere, and I think it's true. And Bloomberg's pointing out the madman theory of keeping foreign leaders guessing. And Trump is the one who said, we as a nation have to be more unpredictable. We're totally predictable. We tell everything. So, you know, they're both crazy. So let's look at what Nixon did during his presidency. And I want you guys, this is a little game, to... Yeah, because I was going to say, it doesn't seem that bad because, you know, we made it through Nixon. So we're going to make it through Trump, right? That's what you're trying to say? Right. And we all got a slightly early exit, although it was after six years with Nixon. Six years. He did get reelected. He kept it in the pants until his second term, so... Right. That at least, you know, he held it all together. So Trump may go hard and fast a little quicker. So we're going to play a little game where you guys say how you think Trump, who is, I think it's a fair assessment, a lot like Nixon, how will he, he Nixon this situation? Um, mm. Okay. All right. So it was Nixon who opened up relations with China, essentially mm. helping to turn them into a world power. How will Trump Nixon with China? Wait, what do you want us to do? Want us to say how? You, I, like, instead of building a wall, he's going to build lots of blimps to China. <laughs> I, I actually think what he's going to end up doing is the same thing with Russia. I think that Nixon opened up these relations with China. It looked like very... Uh, gregarious, like, hand-across-the-aisle kind of thing with them. I think he's going to end up putting us in a really tense relationship with China, uh, but he's going to do the same thing with Russia, which has struggled mightily in the economic uh, standpoint over the past eight years and seems pretty primed to bounce back from that with its healthy new relationship with the United States. I don't know, I don't know if Donald Trump is going to help uh, Russia's economics, uh, you know, like it's a kleptocracy. So really the only thing that can help their economics is getting rid of everyone who runs that country and and actually helping the, the poor people in their country. Well, this game is going swimmingly. Nixon had an arms deal with Russia. What does Trump's deal with Russia look like? Well, I think Trump's going to actually rewrite the, the, the treaty because he's never understood exactly what this arms deal meant. So he thought there was, you know, a limit to the, how big his biceps could be. So now he's going to take that off because he really likes Putin's physique and he wants him to have the big biceps he's always dreamed of. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's right on the line. I, it, it might also have something to do with the size of the arms on his suits, like mm. an, an excellent oh. deal where you get twice the length. <clears throat> oh, Donald, I don't understand. They always make it too long. I need shorter <laughs> sleeves on my arms. I love your Putin is the count. 
is the Sesame Street. Oh, I was going for Russian, but I'll take I'll take Count Count Countula or whatever his name is. All right, Zach, you are getting the Vietnam quagmire. Nixon campaigned oh. against the Vietnam War, but sneakily stopped the Southern Vietnamese from agreeing to a peace treaty before he was elected, and then delayed getting out. Uh, so Trump claimed he was against the Iraq War, right? And he's filling his cabinet with the people who started it um, and who are very pro-conflict in Iran. So that sets you up. How will Trump Nixon intervention? I think it's going to be the same way he treated his relationship with Mexico. They have the best taco bowls in Trump Tower. He's going to start having the best falafels in Trump Tower from Iran. He's going to have the best Vietnamese food. I think it's going to be, you know, a big cultural integration, actually. I think he's going to go the other way on this. So he's going to... And meanwhile, going to, he'll continue to eat KFC on Trump's plane. Trump Force One. Just as a fun side note, um, Nixon was also famous for prosecuting Vietnam War protesters. So that uh, sounds familiar to a certain tweet about flag burners going to jail. Uh, okay, this is probably the part of Nixon you didn't realize. Nixon is hugely responsible for runaway inflation and the national debt. Nixon mm-hmm. essentially started the massive national debt by doubling entitlements. So he was the one making sure that people received their checks for their entitlements a month before re-election, a month before Election Day. And that wasn't even enough. He sent them a reminder a couple weeks later that was like, remember that check you just got, Nixon? So when you say, like, entitlements, and the Republicans are the ones actually always railing against entitlements, right? But these are the kind of entitlements that were just like, maybe I can pay people and they'll elect me. He's going to 3D print Trump stakes and send them to everyone. He's reviving his business. He's partnering again with Sharper Image. And everyone, every household in America gets a Trump stake. What if he set up a sweet government program where everyone got a little bit of gold paint on their homes? He's going to cut taxes. So I don't know where the money's going to come from. But he's going to put together an infrastructure package where we uh, rebuild all of America's failing infrastructure, the bridges, the roads. And if we just gold plate everything, we're just going to have... It's going to be the, the America's going to shine. You're going to be able to see it. You're going to be able to see it from space. Right. During a uh, uncertain economic times, it's usually like really smart to invest in gold. But it's like really smart right now to invest in gold, like because it's literally going to be used more than it's ever been used in the past. Well, that's the terrifying thing too. Is that uh, you know if if Trump is still in office, what is it, uh, 2021 or 2022? That's when the new uh, Air Force One is being built. So if that happens, then he and Melania will get to make all of the interior design decisions. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, if Michelle had gotten to do it, there would have been a vegetable garden in the middle of Air Force One. Oh, God, it would look so good. Things that could have been. Okay, so the last thing. It would, uh, have, had small, it would, it would have had tighter, more muscular wings than any other Air Force One. <laughs> <laughs> Better biceps. Oh, not my God. I'm talking about her toned arms. <laughs> Uh, Nixon tripled federal regulations. Are you guys surprised to hear this? Um, on the surface, that sounds kind of good, right? Um, but those regulations cost us a half a trillion dollars a year, and most of them we have no idea if they work or really what the benefits are of them, right? So we, we first of all don't know if the regulations are effective on most of the programs Nixon set up because there's no metric to measure it. and on most of them, we don't know if they are working, then what benefit that actually causes most people. Like, he literally looked at things and was like, regulate it, regulate it. It reminds me of the Alec Baldwin Trump 
SNL open. I think it'll be I think it'll be the opposite of that though. I think people will be coming up to him and saying, "Hey man, you know when we're not allowed to just throw this nuclear waste in the river, it's really slowing us down here. Can you do anything about it?" He's like, "Deregulate it, deregulate right. it." <laughs> so he's gonna hey, maybe Trump will undo. This is the place where he will be the mirror. He'll just go around undoing the regulations. You know, the regulations are going to be on civil liberties. He already wants to ban flag burning. We see a lot of new anti-abortion laws being passed. So he wants to regulate the things that a human person can do and deregulate the things a human business corporation can do. With that, we all look forward to the Nixonian Trump presidency. And, hey, there could be one similarity that we all would welcome with open arms, and that would be his eventual impeachment. Instead of our fake sponsor this week, we're going to bring you This Week in Breitbart. This is an actual, actual article for Breitbart, just trying to do their part to help their readers. Breitbart, if you go, you can see five great home defense shotguns for your Christmas wish list. Home defense is important, regardless of whether you dwell in the city or the country, as home invaders have shown their willingness to strike urban and rural settings alike. And when it's your door they kick against, a great measure of confidence can be derived from a trusty shotgun. With these things in mind, and with Christmas fast approaching, Breitbart thought it apropos to compile a list of five home defense shotguns, any one of which would make a great addition to your Christmas wish list. So, Matthew, (laughs) is there a shotgun on your Christmas wish list? Yeah, I'm actually going for a pair of matching pistols, but it's the same kind of idea. Because nothing says, I am welcoming my peaceful Lord and Savior into my world than buying... A Remington 870. You guys know that, right? Like, gun sales on Christmas, like, you go online and it's like album compilations on Twitter of everyone with their new shiny AR, pink AR-15, right? Like, oh. that already happened. The guns are basically like Tickle Me Elmo, but every year. Right? Didn't one of the three wise men bring a Winchester SXC Defender to the baby Jesus? To the baby Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, that was what's his name. Uh, I can never remember their name. There was the guy who bought frankincense, the guy who brought myrrh, and the guy who brought the Winchester. Right, right, right. And then there's the little drummer boy who had nothing really to bring him, so instead he just... Well, and it came, you know, everyone was like, hey, why'd you bring that gun here? And then everyone was like, shit, we're hungry. We're out here in this manger. And luckily they were able to execute one of the lambs and cook it over the fire right there for dinner. <laughs> the uh, The little drummer boy was concealed carrying, I think. He definitely was, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is his constitutional right in that part of that land. Okay, we've got a little bit of a slash in this week for you. You can email your electors, and it is the easiest thing of all time, and you get unbelievable auto-responses from the people in Texas, by the way. So there is a website that you can go to. We'll put it up in the show notes. You put your name in, you can adjust the text, but they basically give you some text you can send, and then you put in your email address and you you click like go to Gmail or whatever your email is, and it takes you there and all of the electors are BCC'd on this email that you can send out instantly. You click it and it goes to them and you can say, hi, I'm concerned about um, Donald Trump because Russia has openly admitted uh, being involved in the election, or hey, I have concerns about the white supremacist that Donald Trump has put on his advisory panel, or, hey, Alexander Hamilton had a hit musical, and so now we all want to remember that he put the Electoral College in place for 
some reason about not missing his shot. So, you know, you can send that out to the electors, and they can respond to you with an autoresponder that basically says, go screw yourself. But at least in, the, in your slacktivist way, you can feel like, another thing that I tried this week. Well, and one of them has come out and been like, yeah, I'm not um, going to be a faithless elector. Right, on the, in an article to the New York Times. He's going to write in John Kasich, which uh, seems kind of late, but, you know, maybe it'll be the first of many. Back. What's our IRL action for the week? Great. So our IRL action is actually inspired by the Center for American Progress Action Fund. This is a group that had close ties to the Obama White House and helped get the Affordable Care Act passed. Uh, and as we know, Republicans are hell-bent on repealing and then delaying uh, a replacement for the Affordable Care Act. So they've set up this website called ACAWorks.org. And what they're doing is that they're soliciting stories from people who stand to lose their insurance if Republicans repeal this law. This is going to coincide. They're going to have a week of action. They're doing a lot of fundraising around this as well. And they're going to use these stories to try to convince Republicans to not, um, in one fell swoop, make 30 million people uninsured, because that's what's going to happen if the ACA is repealed. It'll go from 29 million uninsured people in America to 59 million. And if 30 million is a number that doesn't make sense to you, that's triple the amount of people that live in Manhattan. So if you've ever been to New York City or you live in New York City and you see everyone walking around, that number times three uninsured because if Republicans repeal the ACA. If you stand to lose insurance, or somebody you know does, please write in a story, um, and hopefully that'll become of the narrative, part of the process of saving the Affordable Care Act. There might be people in your life who have chronic conditions that you don't know about. Maybe they have diabetes. Maybe they have Crohn's. There's a lot of chronic conditions. They could have hemophilia. These are things that uh, you can deal with on a daily basis and have self-care and have to cope with and not necessarily uh, broadcast it. People might not necessarily know. So these are the people who have been very protected by the Affordable Care Act in some circles. They're the ones who cannot be denied health care based on pre-existing conditions, right? And they benefit from the open marketplace where they can get a fairly negotiated rate. It is, in fact, more of a problem that healthy people haven't bought in insurance that is causing the rise of health care costs. And these are the things that need to be reformed in the Affordable Care Act, not destroyed completely. Uh, Matt, anything else to say for yourself this week before we get the if out of here? Ignore Trump's Twitter. It's all a trap. It is. Oh, God. If we could only all respond, have an autoresponder to Trump's tweets, that's just an Admiral Akbar meme. <laughs> thing is that it actually, you'll be able to look at, you know, in four years or eight years, you'll be able to look at, at the Twitter. And that's it for Matthew Coleman this week, everyone. Thank you for joining <laughs> us at Slacktivist. In eight years, you'll be able to look at the Twitter. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just end it, Jim. Just do a sign-off. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Zach. And thank you for listening. Please like, comment, subscribe. If you have been one of the four people who have listened and said something nice to us, we are really grateful. It helps every time. And uh, listen, uh, we are going to be here week after week kind of making this thing happen and figuring out what it is. So we hope that you will continue to join us and tell your friends. Until next time, this is a New York Picture Company production. Slack you later. Slacktastic. Slack, slack, slack.
Flack don't. Oh, God. <laughs> Can that go in? <laughs> no. Okay.